The iGaming Business Podcast is proudly sponsored by BetRadar, the world's number one betting services provider. Are you looking to boost your profits or optimize your customer engagement? Over 600 clients across 30 countries can't be wrong, relying on BetRadar's market-leading sports betting solutions to enhance their offering. Find out what BetRadar can do for your business at BetRadar.com. BetRadar, driven by facts. You're listening to the IGB Pod, hosted by iGaming Business Deputy Editor, Hannah Ganajay-Stewart. Welcome back to the IGB podcast. This month, Clarion Director of Industry Insight, Eva Bakun and I discuss the prospect of federal gambling legislation in the US and the Labour Party's recent gambling review in the News Roundup. Following that, I catch up with Lottoland Chief Executive Nigel Birrell about everything from product differentiation, Brexit and the potential for an IPO to the secondary lottery provider's next move in Australia, a market he confirms Lottoland is not planning to exit despite a secondary lottery ban being set to come into force in January. Welcome to this month's News Roundup. I'm joined by Clarion Director of Industry Insight, Eva Bakun. Hello, Eva. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. We've got two stories to talk about today. Um, The first one, we've been on a very sort of North American vibe for for a lot of the podcasts, and we're back on it today. Um, And that is around the potential for um, some federal gambling legislation in the States, which I think is quite an interesting sort of topic of discussion, although there's varying sort of views on how that will pan out. Um, But this is about, there's going to be a congressional hearing this Thursday in Washington, D.C., which will consider whether or not a federal framework is required for sports betting across the U.S. Um, The meeting um, will be held by the Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security and Investigation, which probably gives a bit of a clue to kind of where they're going with this and what what kind of aspects of gambling they're looking at. This is more about a kind of enforcement... Um, aspect and about kind of information sharing across the states is the impression that we get. Um, so, I mean, what do you think, ever in terms of kind of whether or not a federal law is required um, to enable the sort of enforcement that the states are probably hoping to set up? So the gambling industry uh, in the U.S. has historically been uh, always opposed to any kind of uh, federal framework um, and uh, have always been pushing um, for uh, states to regulate uh, gambling and uh, for not having any kind of uh, federal um, involvement. Um, but I think there are um, you know, growing and existing and growing uh, voices within the industry when it comes to in particular Um, regulating sports betting that um, there is a need uh, for some sort of uh, federal oversight or at least cooperation between the states, Mm -hmm. um, in particular when it comes to uh, making sure that the integrity of sports is being protected. Um, And with sports betting, um, you know, we have a really powerful new stakeholder that's coming into the ecosystem, which is obviously um, the sports leagues. For them, the sports integrity has always been paramount. Um, That's the reason why they opposed for a long time. Uh, regulation of sports betting. Uh, Right now, uh, they sort of have no choice, um, so they have to uh, participate and they want to participate in the creation of um, regulatory uh, scheme uh, for sports betting, whether it's on a state or federal level, but they have always said that their preference uh, would be for federal framework. Okay. And while, uh, you know, we've had uh, the industry always saying, no, 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 we don't want federal, um, and they have been quite, the industry has been quite uh, successful pushing for state 
only regulation. For example, when we look at iGaming, um, I think this time, uh, you know, the fact that the sports leagues um, are so powerful and have such a big political lobbying cloud mm. that sort of changes um, the, um, the, the, Dynamic. you know, the, the dynamics yeah. of those discussions. You know, we are in a in an election year. Um, it's difficult to say whether it's just really part of uh, that um, that campaign, um, or um, you know whether there is any whether these the, these efforts um, to push for federal framework actually have any legs, or pe- perhaps this just really continues to be part of the leaks uh, lobbying war. Yeah, and I mean, I mean it, it, what it does is it makes that debate a lot more public and a lot more high profile. Back over in the UK, we had um, different sort of political ramblings. So uh, Labour published its sort of year-long review of gambling regulations. And in many ways, there were an enormous amount of surprises. This is all around responding to problem gambling and the data that Tom Watson and his kind of group working on this had gathered. Slightly more surprising, perhaps, that the Remote Gambling um, Association has been relatively supportive of that and sort of admitted that there might be a need for some of those measures to be put Mm. in. Um, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that reducing the amount of advertising during sports is is a good move at this point? Or are we at risk of kind of maybe putting the industry Mm. under a bit of a putting it under the carpet a little bit um as you said um there are really surprises here um i think it's uh it's all to be expected and is part of a general narrative that we've been hearing uh coming from the political aisles but also from the gambling commission when it comes to um just really more restrictions put on gambling including gambling advertising um i think you know we've we we did see during the world cup um that there have already been uh, voices you know Mm. sort of um, talking um, and just complaining about uh, that advertising overkill and just how much advertising there is during the live events around sports betting and how um, you know people under uh, underage um, uh, funds are also exposed to it. Um, and you know we we also know that Gamble Aware has been looking at um, at uh, the impact of. Uh, sponsorship and really sports betting just really becoming so omnipresent in our lives in our everyday lives and not just um after the tv watershed yeah Um, so so yeah so i think i think it's um you know it's only going to continue i think if you look beyond just uk and look at the context of uh advert full total advertising bans in other countries like Italy, um, I believe Bulgaria or Romania um, has also been uh, considering um, or pushing for a gambling uh, ban, um, as well as Australia. As well as Australia, yeah. I think really it would be interesting to see where UK uh, will go and how far where they will go. Exactly, I don't think we yeah. will go. We will reach the point of a total advertising ban. Um, but certainly some restrictions will be coming. Um, as you said, it's interesting to see um, RGA um, actually supporting mm. that move. Um, I would say um, that you know the industry perhaps is a little bit of um, the enemy of its own success. 
Um, obviously, you know, a lot of the advertising that's been happening, it's all, you know, within the, the, the rules, the set rules, um, and, and everything that those companies are doing, they have been allowed to do that. Um, and it's a little bit of a, you know, war, sort of advertising war be, between them and a bidding war to spend more and more to get yeah. to that consumer without perhaps taking um, a longer view um, of what the impact might be and also what the political implications might yeah. be. You know, we talked about the U.S. Um, I do think this is an interesting lesson for uh, countries like the United States that are really at the point where they can put those guidelines in place yeah. and can learn from the lessons of a mature market like the UK that's um, just really sort of taking a step back right now. Um, thanks very much for joining us. And that's it for this month. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the IGB pod. Joining us by the magic of Skype this month is Lottoland CEO Nigel Birrell, who is sat in a pleasant Spanish square somewhere where you found some Wi-Fi, I believe, Nigel. Yeah, I had some problems with connection, Hannah, so we've managed to get a, 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 some Wi-Fi, but hopefully no ambulance or anything will go by to ruin the, ruin, <laughs> ruin the noise. It'd be good. We, we need some like Spanish background sounds, you know, yeah, some sort some, of guitar or something. Or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so how, and how is it over there today? Have you got um, beautiful wall-to-wall sunshine unlike the UK? Well, we actually do, funny enough, but actually it hasn't been like that for the last 10 days or so. In fact, it's been a pretty miserable summer down Has in it? the southern Iberia yeah, and actually London, for instance, which I know well, and I'm frequent visitor too has been a lot better. We did for we, most most of May, June, and July. Yeah, we've been we yeah. have been doing our best to rival the islands over here. Um, but, so. but even recently, it's been rubbish. So I'm pleased to say today is it's changed, and apparently it's going to be good for the next ten days. So there we go. Good stuff. And what is going to be keeping you busy over there over the next ten days? What is um, on the kind of agenda for you and Lotto Land coming up this week? Well, well, this week we've been focusing very much on our product roadmap. I mean, for us, it's all about new products, new innovation, differentiating, I'd say, differentiating ourselves from other lotteries. Um, and then we're looking at our sort of product roadmap over the next three to six months. We've got a few personnel issues which are keeping us busy as well. One of our senior colleagues is going to have to leave in a few months because his wife has got a very high-powered job in a far-flung land. Mm. And uh, the commute would be rather too much for him. So filling in a hole of a very senior colleague is not that easy as well so we want to get the right person so that's keeping me busy a little bit the last few days yeah but, that's a pretty uh, yeah. that seems to be a pretty tough um sort of job over all verticals actually finding kind of getting senior people what's the kind of approach for you in terms of plugging those kind of gaps when you get sort of a hiring issue like that coming up well gibraltar's pretty good actually Hannah. we got three and a half thousand gaming executives working in gibraltar so there's a steady flow between the companies. There's a, a you know, an unwritten rule that no one poaches directly from other companies and pretty much everyone sticks to that. But obviously some people want to advance their careers. Some people get bored in the jobs they're in. So there's quite a good steady flow of traffic from one to the other and obviously of new people coming into the jurisdiction. So it's never really a problem. But when you've got a very specialized role or a very senior executive, uh, you need to fill. Sometimes that needs uh, takes a bit longer because you want to get the right person in the job. Um, we've got an eye to the future as well in terms of our growth and, hmm. you know, ten, potentially, you know, IPO or whatever we decide to do in the in the next three to three years or so. Uh, so we need someone who's going to be able to fit with that, not just what the company looks like today, but what we expect maybe looks like in, in 24 months time or something like that. So 
And it's very important in these senior roles that you want to get the right person who's going to last a long time and not someone who oh, will try them out and see how it goes. So yeah. it's, it's, it's not so easy. But generally, intervals are very good. There's lots of, lots of very well-qualified people to, to fill, the, fill the roles we need. I was going to pick up on the IPO question a bit later on, actually, but that is something you guys are still sort of looking at and considering, is it? Well, I think any private company looks at that, frankly. I mean, it, you know, we have um, a family shareholder who's, who's a majority of the company. Uh, in the end of the day, it probably represents a majority of their worth. And so it would only be sensible for them to look at um, looking for a liquidation event of some uh-huh. sort, whether that be a sale of the business or, or an IPO. And we've no current plans for either. But we have in the back of our mind the fact we need to move to that position at some point. Uh, a listing would give us a, a, a currency to make further acquisitions, for instance, and we're very ambitious in that regard. Mm. So it's certainly something we look at. I mean, I have to say we haven't got a specific date or, you know, even even a sort of spectrum of dates in mind. But we're certainly having an eye to that for the future in terms of building a, a senior management structure and potentially a board that would be satisfactory for you know corporate governance requirements and the rest of it. So, and is it? Is yeah, Sorry to cut you off. I was just thinking, I mean, in terms of um, sort of hiring into Gibraltar as well, I mean, is that as easy as it once was? Is there, is there, is it still easy to get people when you're based out there? Yeah, I don't think it's an issue. I mean, I think uh, a couple of people maybe have Brexit on the back of their minds because, you know, it's very uncertain position mm. in, in the UK, let alone Gibraltar. So, um, you know, news flow, news cycle tends to dictate what people feel about that. Uh, I say Brexit is perhaps posing a few yeah. pause moments for people's pause for breath but um you know that's the same in the uk and people hiring there as well so yeah. i don't think it's particularly particularly different in gibraltar, no that's but, true that's yeah. true i mean do, did you guys consider a move out of gibraltar as a result of brexit i mean as it as it sort of closes in it it's 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 feeling a little bit um hair raising at the moment but are you guys kind of happy over there and, and not too concerned about it yeah, very happy and not too concerned, frankly. I mean, I think um, maybe the difference between Lotta Land and some other companies in Gibraltar is we actually pretty much were born here. Mm. You know, we literally started with half a dozen people in in an office, in fact, in a villa up a coast, actually, for a few weeks before we had an office. And I think um, so for us, it's kind of the home, whereas other companies have either have big offices elsewhere or have relocated to Gibraltar. It's always been our home. I mean, clearly, there's a necessity to find um, a licensable jurisdiction to allow us access to some of those European markets, which we might not otherwise be allowed access, yeah. depending on the depending on the outcome of Brexit. And many companies are making, you know, quite well publicised moves to different places. Um, so we we've got contingency plans in place for that, of course. Um, you know, I think the only issue, whenever I'm asked about it, whether I've been worried about anything, has been potentially the border flow. I mean, think about 75, 80 percent of our staff live on the Spanish side of the border. Right. Um, so for us, it's very important to be, be able to get people over and back quickly and easily. And I'm delighted to say there have been no issues recently. And I understand the Gibraltar government and the new Spanish government are working very closely um, hand in hand, it seems to me, to make the, the flow of, of people across the border even better, actually. So I, I'm not at all concerned, really. But you never know that something might come to surprise you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, other than that, but we're certainly very committed to Gibraltar. We've got a lot of people here, or most of our people here, and we're very happy there. Yeah, it would be an upheaval to move. But contingency plans presumably include AI on other um, jurisdictions that you could relocate to if, if you needed to. Yes, indeed. There are, there are a number of the out there. And we actually have a we have a number of licenses in, around the world, and one of which is in the Europe anyway, which is in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, that Irish license doesn't allow us to 
to sell to people outside of Ireland, but one would wonder whether the Irish government might think about expanding that. But if not Ireland, then certainly we've got other other jurisdictions in mind. You know, many people talk about Malta and places like that. Yeah. So, but you know, we, we, you know, we're, we're pretty well well advanced in terms of plans. So we'll just see how it develops over the next six goes. months. Be Spanish about it. <laughs> well, it's interesting to read. We read uh, Hannah last week that the mayor of La Linea, which is the town across the border right. from uh, from Gibraltar, has, has proposed a a tax-free zone to attract Gibraltar gaming companies to to Lalinia, which is a fairly poor town, okay, on, and and relies very much on commerce from Gibraltar. And I, I mean, I don't know how far that will get with the federal government, but um, certainly a, a quite a, a a new idea, which has been welcomed by senior officials in Gibraltar, as far as I understand. And um, you know, his pitch is why go to Malta, for instance, when you can come across the border. And we'll give you a license here to operate in Europe. I mean, you mentioned um, Ireland there briefly, which sort of um, takes me to my next question, which was about the uh, Irish National Lottery CEO, Dermot Griffin's comments at the end of last month, where he sort of dug in rather at secondary um, lottery operators. I think he's, he called you guys rogues um, and said that you were siphoning off revenue from um, national lotteries. I think he's adjusted his position slightly since then. I think he's kind of softened it a bit since those initial comments. But how does it feel to sort of be in the firing line again with those sorts of um, remarks? Well, actually, I haven't seen his direct comments. I've seen some news articles making reference to it. I think if an Irishman calls you a rogue, I think that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's <laughs> probably a compliment. It's probably, probably a compliment. But uh, I suspect um, he's just catching on the bandwagon of what we've been finding in other countries with Camelot previously, etc. I mean, Camelot, in the, under the previous management team, I have to hasten to add, was very much in the in the business of trying to blame secondary lottery op- operators for their poor performance. So I mean, mm. I'm delighted to say that the new management team don't blame us as much and have looked to themselves as to what they should do to improve their performance and are making great strides in that regard, I think. So I mean, I, I think it's just natural. Monopolies have for years hated to have any type of competition. Uh, and I think Ireland is waking up to the fact that there's competition out there. And rather than embracing that competition and improving your own product and trying to go head to head and, uh, and beat the secondary lotteries, it's, it seems to be a bit of a trend to complain about them and try oh. and get the government to act on your behalf to to ban them. And I think that's um, pretty, pretty you know, backward looking, frankly. And I, you know, I think they should be just getting getting on and competing and just enjoying yeah. that competition and improving I'm... their own products. So it's something we've heard from most of the countries involved in. Um, a little bit surprised Ireland taking so long to to adopt the refrain of others, but you know, it's nothing new there, Hannah, to be honest with you. And, Has uh, it, um, I mean, does it sort of inspire innovation on your end as these guys kind of throw these things out there in terms of the way that your messaging develops or even the product develops, you know, when kind of when these things come through from various jurisdictions? I mean, has it kind of shaped the way that you guys are having to work or deal with it? Not really. Their brickbats don't really affect us that much. I mean, we, we don't like it and we don't want them. We want to work in harmony and put in, in good competition with them, really, to be honest with you. And it's, it's a distraction and an annoyance and it costs money and the rest of it to defend yourselves. But our whole fundamental premise is on innovation, frankly, and it's mm-hmm. on bringing new products, trying to attract people who don't normally play the lottery. That's why we believe we're incremental to these state lotteries anyway. Because, mm. you know, we're, bringing, we're trying to bring in a, a whole uh, range of people. Millennials are often mentioned but and older than millennials who who don't and have not grown up to being used to going to a news agent buying a ticket their whole life is on on online you know they don't buy a newspaper in a shop or anything they did that on their ipads or whatever so we're trying to appeal to that 
generation really and to older generations and trying to encourage them to go online so we we, we think we're very additive and in fact a research we did for um, a submission to the DCMS in the UK uh, a while ago showed that actually we've been we're having no detrimental impact on on lotteries or on good causes at all and actually we are being if anything incremental to the market bringing in a whole new generation of yeah. players so so for us our whole ethos is about innovation and bringing new products um, that people you know, want to use online if you look at sports betting for instance and the competition within that market which is intense what it does was is drive incredible ingenuity in terms of new products yeah and it's the companies that bring on those new products which are going to succeed it's very much the same for us we don't see ourselves competing necessarily against the state lotteries we're against other secondary lotteries we're against other forms of online gaming against other uh, recreational pastimes frankly so it's about attracting the attention of the user to innovative products and developing and, and actually even when you've got good products not not resting on your laurels and actually trying to push the envelope and create new products so the the, the sound bites from the state lottery operators are just one factor in that but certainly not a driving force in any way shape or form I mean, has there been any kind of development of new products for the Australian market? Because obviously that in, in terms of that particular market, things escalated to the point that the government did ban secondary lottery betting. And that doesn't come into force until the 1st of January. So you, I believe you guys are still operating normally there now. But in terms of how you respond to that next year, what 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 is next for Lotto Land in Australia? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's not first, I guess the ninth actually, but split hairs. But uh, yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're just operating as normal now, obviously looking at our marketing budget a little bit more carefully because obviously we, we don't really want to take up um, things which are going on into next year. We certainly are developing and um, looking at developing a range of new products to that market. We have, you know, about 800,000 customers in that market, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, several percent of the population. So we're, we're very popular. Yeah. Uh, most most of our customers are telling us they think it's an absurd reaction by the Australian government. But once again, we're caught in the middle of a sort of political football on other issues like reducing corporation tax. Australia, I think, has got its sixth or seventh new prime minister in eight or nine years. It's rather, rather like Italy in that regard. I think, um, you know, we, we've got caught up in, in some in some side deals which have been done on other higher political games. And we're seen very much as a foreign company. Um, you know, by the Australians. Um, and so we've lost that battle uh, mm. for the moment. I wouldn't say we've lost the war. I think we continue to fight down there on a number of fronts. I mean, primarily it would be great to overturn that decision. It won't happen in the short term, for sure. Are you but challenging we, it sort of legally? We're, con- we're, con- we're considering that, but I yeah. don't think um, that's our main focus. I think in the end of the day, political will will tend to, to um, win the day in all this. And I think it's a question of educating the politicians and as governments change or the shape of governments change, trying to persuade them that good competition and a product which, you know, several percent of their population enjoy is definitely worth having. But in the meantime, and on the assumption that we stop offering our secretary lottery products from, I think it's 9th of January, whenever it is. Um, yes, we are developing new products down there which will fit within the regulations and offer our customers an experience uh, as similar as we can to, to lottery. But um we'll have to keep that under wraps for the time being it's all very much work in progress at the moment yeah uh we have to discuss this with the regulators and things like that so sure um but yeah we don't we're certainly not going to exit that market um and we we, we hope to retain our customers and yeah. provide a service for them 
Well, it'd be interesting to see sort of what you guys come back with at that time. And I, I was sort of going to ask, really, because it feels like secondary lottery is, you know, I mean, it's a it's kind of a booming area that people are really interested in. Um, but it does get this kind of backlash. And I was sort of curious what you think about whether it's sort of a test for the verticals resilience in some ways, having to get over these hurdles at this stage and, and maybe slightly innovate the product and work with the regulators. I mean, do you feel like it's a, a catalyst for, for the vertical in some ways or just a matter of course in terms of running these kinds of businesses well the regulators aren't the people we have a problem with and we, we you know in the markets we regulated ireland the uk australia for instance we've great relationships with the regulator and whenever they ask us to do something we do it and mm. you know we're, we're very much within scope there it, it's actually the, it tends to be a political thing or it tends to be driven by the state monopoly who hasn't hitherto been used to any competition mm. uh you know they've been operating for 20 30 40 50 years whatever with no competition suddenly it comes it comes by. And if I was running one of those lotteries, frankly, I know I'd be you know, jumping up and down about the secretary lotteries because yeah. they're ruining the great market I've had with no competition for so long. So um, we're very, very you know, good relationships with regulators. And so I think it's like without being arrogant, we're not certainly not an Uber. We're not a, you know, a, a Netflix or an Airbnb. But any industry where a, a challenger comes in uh, upsets the, the normal course, there's going to be some, you know, some blood on the street. And you know, we expected that um, potentially we could have done things slightly differently in some markets, maybe even perhaps a slightly too aggressive. Who knows? Uh, in Australia, for instance. Um, but we're learning and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get there in the end. And I think in the end of the day, the um, the point is a lot of people want, want that product uh, yeah. in the same way as they want to you know, get an Uber on their on their mobile or, or, or get a video on Netflix. So if the customer wants it, the political will will be there to, to provide it as long as it's not hurting anyone else and it's all within the bounds of the regulatory regime i don't think there's a problem but yeah you know it certainly we've had our ups and downs in terms of the sector it's been a relatively new vertical as you say yeah um i think to some extent lots of land has been seen as the champion so i think we get our unfair share of um publicity flack mm. headwinds whatever you like to call it um we're delighted to see other companies coming into the sector because i think that then sort of validates that it is an established or becoming established vertical um, and we just have to ride these these challenges out but I think the bottom line is as I said before and people want the opportunity to play a myriad of lotteries and we offer for instance 30 odd lotteries from around the world yeah I mean if you're a British citizen you want to go and play the Powerball in the US you've got to go to America to do it uh, with us we're offering that thing we're not offering that opportunity or, or El Gordo in Spain or whatever at Christmas time we're not actually trying to compete with the state lotteries necessarily. We're just offering a service in for lotteries in other countries. I call yeah. it lottery to tourism, really. So, and I mean, the European Lotto Betting Association were, were, were very supportive, I think, weren't they? They've, they've sort of backed you guys in terms of that that difference and that the offering is what it is. I mean, is it useful to be a member of those sorts of organisations? Yes, indeed. Um, and we're a part of that. And I think, oh. it's, you know, hopefully they're quite, a, quite an embryonic uh, organisation, but it will go from strength to strength. And we felt that you know, rather than have Lotterland leading the charge on this, it's better for all secretary lottery operators to get together, yeah. have a code of, code of ethics, uh, certain standards we must uh, uh, you know, adhere to. Uh, it's fundamentally important that winners are paid out on time and you know, in, and actually paid out, and people have the right insurance in place and stuff like that. So because that would just wouldn't be that would send the sector backwards if there were any 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 issues in that regard. Yeah. So yeah, we're very keen to have this set of standards, and then we can speak as a body against these protectionist interests who want to try and kill us before we started the bottom line is we, we have started we're out there millions of people are playing this product we're here to stay clearly there will be headwinds along the way 
there'll be some kind of movement in terms of what you can and what you can't offer. But we are here to stay, and I think, uh, you know, we expect that to be to, to grow and grow as a sector here. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that you sort of you take that approach in terms of getting all the sec- secondary lotteries together and kind of try and build a bit of best practice because actually that's quite unusual for the iGaming sector as a whole, isn't it? To ha- have that kind of um, will to cooperate, I guess, and to have a kind of um, universal approach to those kinds of things. I mean, do you think that's because it's a relatively new vertical you're able to do that? And is that something that you would suggest the rest, that kind of approach is something that the rest of our gaming also adopt? Well, I think I'm not sure it is something that's new. I mean, I'm, I'm a member of the GBGA, the Gibraltar Betting Gaming Association, and we very much seem to sing from the same hymn sheet when it comes to gaming in Gibraltar and interests of Gibraltar at large. Uh, we've had some meetings recently and everyone seems to be saying, you know, pretty much on the same page i think obviously in the past in certain companies i've been involved in you know for instance there have been different interests with those companies still operating in america when we felt some companies felt it was illegal to do so so Mm. people's interests weren't aligned and you saw schisms within those organizations but i think on the whole if you get an organization which has the right um kind of ideals and really is sort of acting for all its members interests i think it isn't a problem but certainly i think the European Lottery Association is basically showing the way forward. If you want to try and speak with a voice for a number of operators, um, you're clear in your message and you know where you want to go and actually you think you've got a, a decent cause, then I think why not get together and, and talk about it rather than speak from an isolated position. But I'm not yeah. sure it's necessarily a lesson for others. I think there are other great organisations in gaming which are definitely you know, flying the flag for their members. Are doing that, yeah. I mean, and you were a lawyer by training, I believe, um, which I imagine yeah. is quite helpful in these in, when there are slightly slight conflict situations that come up. Um, what was it that led you into gaming in the end? How how did you come into the industry? I tried to keep that quiet, Hannah, because not many people like lawyers these days. I think so. Uh, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for about revealing to that. You. I'm sorry <laughs> thanks about for that. Revealing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was many years ago, actually. Like many people, I went, I went to university, um, kind of really not knowing what I wanted to do, to be honest. And uh, law seemed like a decent thing to do. And while I was in university, I quite enjoyed law, so I kind of then decided to qualify as a lawyer. Uh, but while I was doing my qualification, um, it's a bit of breeze coming up there. So yes. that. Um, while I was doing working in law firm, I decided it was uh, it was a bit routine, to be honest. And I ended up um, actually joining an investment bank and two investment banks for about 11 years. Which I seem to at the time looked it looked much more sort of sexy, if you like, than yeah. doing sort of M and A deals and the rest of it. So I did uh, 11 years in investment banking, uh, and after a sort of decade and a bit, you kind of get a bit bored with that as well. And I actually got headhunted to go and join a, a media group uh, at the time, um, which was a relatively small listed company uh, in the children's TV space. Okay. Um, and we own lots of products like Bob the Builder and Barney the Dinosaur and Thomas the Tank Engine and. Uh, various other Angelina Banner various other um, properties that people may have heard of right and we grew that grew that company from about 150 million dollars to 1.1 billion in about 2005 when we sold it to private equity and it was at that point when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, I got approached by a friend of mine who was the CFO of party poker at the time party gaming yeah uh, who I used to know very well who used to be the CFO at Fox Kids Europe which became Jetix and they just listed on the London market with a four billion market cap. And we're looking for an M&A guy, really, to go and help drive that growth. Okay. This is all pre, pre-UIGEA. Uh, and so, you know, in fact, I think part of the gaming peaked at a seven billion sterling market cap. Mm. And we're looking at some major, major deals. So it was a very, very attractive job. And I guess the only problem was it had to be op- 
operating out of Gibraltar, which is somewhere I'd never been to before. Um, and a family who didn't really want to move with the kids in school and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that was a slight issue, but the job was very attractive. And unfortunately, the job took a bit of a, a backward step in the sort of nine months after I joined when uh, America banned online gaming. Yes. Um, which cost us 78% of our turnover overnight. Mm. Um, but then there's a new challenge arose, which was you know, helping to turn a company, which is one product in one territory, either poker in America, into a multi-territory, multi-product company. So I did that then for the next sort of eight, nine years, and including when it became B-Win Party, etc. So yeah. yeah, that's what led me into gaming. It was rather a sort of accidental route, and it was sort of timing, if you like. It was but never look back. Time. Well, yeah, you sometimes look back, I and mean, I look back and see what Bob the Builder's doing and Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> and see how they're getting on, etc. But yeah, no, it's been fun. I mean, being at pretty much, um, obviously, you know, the, the gaming sector had been going for a few years before I joined it, but it really was the start of the kind of... Um, was the form, formalizing of it, you know, with these companies yes. listing like ourselves and 888 and other companies listing at, at that time on the stock exchange. And so it literally, it was definitely a new era in gaming. And you saw, uh, you know, poker perhaps come off for three or four years later, but casino and sports massively grow and bingo grow. So it was great to you know be part of that. And obviously now it's a pretty established sector and many, many billions in the online uh, side of it. But yeah, and some interesting m and been happening over, over recent sort of months as well yeah indeed it was back consolidation doing, still going yeah well i was the m&a for sort of five or six years at the party and nothing much happened and people get yeah. conferences when's the m&a gonna happen and everyone's like, oh it's about to happen and <laughs> suddenly a whole wave of it happened after about seven or eight years but yeah absolutely it's been happening a lot now my old company which became gvc is that has been leading the charge on that yeah um, absolutely i mean that's been swift kind of um hoovering up of various entities absolutely so so it's quite considerable consolidation which everyone had been expecting for a long time due to the kind of increasing costs of regulation increasing Mm. complexity there's massive synergies to be had by you know integrating platforms you know cutting out costs in that regard so i'm not surprising me that that, that most of those are working pretty well and it, it makes me look to where the consolidation goes after this because there aren't so many big companies out there. A whole well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, where do you, where do you see it going from here? I mean, in terms of kind of what's left to happen, and I mean, generally, but also in Lotto Land's case, is there is there kind of M and A on the horizon for you guys? Well, speaking generally first, I think yeah, absolutely. We've got you've got a sort of polarization of the big companies at the top, which are getting bigger. You know, the Stars Group, PVC, etc., mm-hmm. uh, and they probably haven't got so many big deals they can do now because they've pretty much got what they need in terms of you know quality verticals under them so they'll be looking at the sort of tier you know tier a couple of tiers below the perhaps the new innovative products in the sector i suspect uh, and that's where they'll go clearly in the smaller companies there'll be opportunities for sort of mid cap small cap mergers because to take you know, the costs out as i just mentioned in the regulatory mm. side and the platform side etc and people side um but then anyway, that where does that leave loss on i don't know we i think we're probably the leader in our in our small subsector, we have, have made one or two small acquisitions, which have been pretty successful to us. Um, we would like to do some more. We have some targets in mind. Being a private company, to some extent, we're capital constrained. We've never taken any debt on board. We've never issued shares to anybody um, outside the company. So we have we are kind of slightly hindered by that. Right. But, yeah. Um, not notwithstanding that, there are a number of targets out there, and we'd love to grow. I suspect that maybe there'd be companies maybe looking at us as well over time. We're not certainly not advertising ourselves as that, but inevitably, if you're looking for a new vertical, yes. uh, why, why wouldn't you want to go after one of the one of the leaders in that vertical? So we'll see where that leads to us. But um, you know, we, we are keen to to acquire, um, and, and we've got a few things going on, but obviously can't talk about that much in public. 
No. But uh, don't be surprised if you see us make make a couple of deals. Coming up soon, we'll keep our eyes peeled. I mean, what is your sort of vision generally for the for Lotto Land kind of going forward? I mean, say the next 18 months, what can we expect to see from you guys? Do you think? Well, I suppose it's um, it's you know growth really comes from you know probably three three ways really. One is um, our core business. Um, you know, we're only in about a dozen markets at the moment. Uh, it's trying to get a bigger share of those markets, educate more people to to, to get involved in online lottery realizing that there's more out there than just euro millions or whatever you can play the powerball or the mega millions or whatever so literally to grow our core business that's obviously a key area and given we're only five-year-old company i think there's quite a lot we can do with that um we talked earlier about products i mean our product portfolio, portfolio expansion is massively important to us mm-hmm. continue to innovate and broaden the broaden the, the portfolio change the way people think about the lottery and about winning big jackpots and we can achieve this through new products etc we've got a an ILS, which is an insurance link security of 120 million euros. We can use yeah. that for not just insuring major uh, lotteries, but also insuring major jackpot wins in games, you know, in, in normal sort of casino and, and, and slot games, mm-hmm. um, and scratch card games. So we have our own ring, what we call ring technology, which is random number generator with insurance thrown in. So random insured number generator using that uh, in terms of you know, growing a product base in that regard. Also, we do that on a B2B basis as well. We we actually have a thriving B2B business always looking to grow that. I think the final, the third leg will be internationalization. We I say we're in about a dozen markets, so and we're trying at the moment to do those well rather than to spread ourselves too thinly. Yeah. But we certainly have a pipeline of new markets we want to go in. Uh, we have a in an order structured way we're going to do that over you know the next two years. And uh, hopefully that will will bring incremental growth as we enter those new markets and bring secondary, secondary lottery to those markets usually markets which hitherto haven't had secondary lottery in them. So yeah. that's basically where we're, we're looking to go. I mean, does the does the US kind of um, look interesting to you guys at the moment? I mean, obviously, it's not an instant target, but in future, there may be opportunities there. Is that somewhere that you've sort of been looking? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's not you've, you've summed it up well when you said it's not an instant target. I think mm. we've, we've hired a guy over there, a really good guy. Uh, he's been on board now for six, 12 months. Uh, He's making himself well known to the state lotteries over there, mm-hmm. and to a lot of the providers of the state lotteries, and we're looking at ways we can get in there. I mean, there are obviously the certain states where we feel we might have a good chance in a shorter time frame. You know, the mm-hmm. obvious New Jersey's and, and um, Nevada's, etc. Uh, but I think, yeah, over time, like any other country, I think the U.S. will be a massive opportunity for us. I don't think we'll be in the first wave, to be honest, but I certainly think we'll be in the second wave, and uh, yeah. look forward to be able to report stuff on that in due course. Well, look, we, we will come back to you when some of these announcements have been made and when there's um, been some new products. It's really good to speak to you. Thank you so much for making the time and um, having a chat, Nigel. I really appreciate it. Hannah, my absolute pleasure at any time. That's all for this month. Thanks for listening. If you've got this far and have any thoughts on how we could improve the podcast or ideas on what you'd like to hear in future, please drop me an email. hannah.ganagé-stewart at clarioningaming.com.